0: well tonight we're talking about drawing from the wellspring and um, i just want to paint a picture for you just uh not a physical picture but <laughs> although i love art <laughs> but if you could imagine a roaring crowd a crowd a, a busy crowd hot and stuffy and and uh sheep bleating and uh you know children running in and out between the adults and horns blasting and and people making a lot of noise and things like that. And over the top of all of that, Jesus cries out and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of the noise, this voice Penetrates the people around them. It says, first of all, it says, on the last day, the, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood out and cried out. So what feast was he talking about? And I don't want to go all into the, the Hebrew things of it, but it's important to actually understand the Feast of Tabernacles I just, was the feast that they're talking about there. And I just want to just cover a little bit of it. And that's about the, the water. It was a celebration of both of what God had done and what God was about to do. That's what the celebration of the tabernacle uh, was about. And uh, it came at the end of a very hot, dry, dusty summer. The ground was parched. It was cracked. It needed the rainy season. And so this feast was really a thanking God for the rain that he was going to come because it meant that they could grow their wheat and they could eat bread. So that's very significant. They needed the water for bread. Anyway, it was an eight-day feast, ending with the Sabbath. But what would happen is that uh, on the first day of the feast, the, the high priest would select a another priest to come, and with a golden pitcher, and he would go to the pool of Siloam. Now what does that mean? Sorry, in uh solom. it means not shalom Salam. <laughs> it means sent one, the one who is sent, and they dipped this this cup- this golden pitcher into the water and they'd take it back to the high priest who then poured it out at the foot of the altar into a into another container there, and then they'd mix it with wine and and they'd pour it out uh, like that and uh it's very significant when you think about all this, what they were doing. And they did this repeatedly every day until the seventh day. And on the seventh day, they would do exactly the same thing. They'd get the water and they'd pour it into the bowl and then they'd tip the bowl out. They'd pour it out. And at the time they did that, on the seventh day, they would have trumpets blasting and uh, some of the priests singing sacred music And the people would be standing there with their ferns or their palm branches waving. And as they did that, they'd be chanting some of the psalms between Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And a lot of it is very prophetic about the Messiah coming. And it was about welcoming the Messiah to come. And they wanted him to come quickly. It's ironic though, in the last Psalm 118... It says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Here is Jesus standing in the midst of all this noise and commotion. Hey guys, I'm the answer to your prayers. I am right here. If anyone thirsts, because we're talking about water and pouring water out, I am a watering offering. I'm going to be poured out upon the altar. I am the sent one. I'm there for you. I'm right in front of you. Hello. And yet no one recognized him. In fact, it caused division among them. But who is this guy? What's he yelling about? Surely he's not the one No he can't be He's from Nazareth Nothing ever good came out of there So they missed him completely And yet I can't help thinking That a lot of those people went home Feeling great Because they'd ticked the box They'd gone to the festival. It was compulsory to go to one of those festivals. There were three out of the festivals that were actually compulsory to go to. Yet they'd done it. They'd fulfilled their obligation. You know, we can do exactly the same. We can go to church. We can go to a discipleship group. We can do all the different groups. We can tick the box. And we can say in our heart, I've done it. I fulfilled something. I've, I've done exactly what you've asked us to do. And yet Jesus is still crying out to us today and saying, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me. And we can miss it purely because of obligation. It's sad really because they're a generation that truly he was the cornerstone that they missed. And we can miss him exactly the same. We could be singing all the songs We can be doing all those different things, and we can miss him. And that's really, really sad. And it just really gripped me when I saw that. I thought, obligation. Do I love the Lord out of obligation or out of love? What's my motivation? What's deep within me? But tonight, I just want to have a look at, we're talking about wells. And uh, I want to have a look at a bit of a husband-wife team uh, in this one about Rebekah and Isaac, two very different people and yet two very different ways of connecting with God, but both drawing from a well. In Genesis 24, verse 11 to 20, I'm not going to uh, read that one out, but here was Rebekah by a well. And the servant of Abraham comes, and he's tired, and he prays a prayer that whoever comes would not only just give him water but his, his uh, animals as well. And Rebecca comes and he asks for water and she draws out the water, not just for him but for the animals. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. But the thing is she was able to draw from the well and give it effortlessly to those that needed it. There was no hesitation. There was no holding back. And yet, there is a well that God has placed within us to be free flowing, and that's what God has really wanting to do in us, because He is that well, and He wants to be free flowing out of us. You see, in those days, communities or families dug wells, so it was for everyone of that community or that family to drink from the well. And the same thing here is I don't know whether you realize how powerful and how deep and how rich the well is in this family that's being dug for you. What are you drawing upon? Are you drawing upon it? Are you going over the messages and meditating on the richness that's there? Because if you only got one small bit of it, it would change your life. But there's so much to draw from that God has placed in us already, in this family. I I, I remember one person saying to me, oh, I have to get all my food elsewhere because there's nothing here. And I thought, what? (laughs) Are you kidding? Are you joking? It's so sad because when people think they understand something, often they could be missing it and there's something far deeper here than what we realize. A lot of people pass through this place and they comment later, you know, afterwards and say, "Why is this not being preached in our church?" I've never heard that before. We've had some friends up in Auckland that <laughs> come down and they're just blown away every time. And when they go back to their fellowship, they realize how dry it is, how how you know, humanistic it is. And yet we have a well here that is so amazing. Do you remember the prophecy that David McCracken gave to this place about a well in restoration? And God is restoring this well, and I see it as you are the stones around that well. And you are building it around it, containing the water so that people can dip their bucket into that water and pour it says poured out on dry ground and it becomes life every hundred years um, in America there's there's this dry dry valley and it's it's so dry that there's hardly any rainfall at all but every approximately hundred years it rains in that place and beforehand you look at it and it's dry barren dusty dirty it's horrible But after the rain has fallen, it becomes a sea picture of purple. As all these little flowers come up, and they cover the whole desert floor. You think, where on earth did those flowers come from? And they only come up every hundred odd years. But it's, it changes the whole thing. No matter how dry and cracked your ground is, God wants to pour <laughs> the living waters on you because what's in you is his seed wanting to come out. It's a beautiful picture. you have to Google it. It happened about 10, 15 years ago. The last time they recorded it was 1800 and something. So uh, amazing. But she was able to draw upon the, the, the family water and pour it out effortlessly. She was able to refresh people. And you know, God is doing a work in us that we're able to pour it out with others, sharing our testimony, sharing what God is doing in us at the right, at the moment. Not just about a testimony of further back, but now what is God doing in us? And the life that's in us, we have a will that we can draw upon. And I sometimes think of Sandra's a little bit like that too, because she pours it out quite effortlessly. Sometimes it's hard to stop it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's the, truly because of the work that God has done in here. So that no matter the ups and downs of life, she's able to when people ask her a question, she's able to pour it out, because it's there. She's been drawing upon the will of what God is doing in here. And it's not just things, it's him inside of us that he wants to come out because we're being transformed into his image. Now I want to look at, oh, that's right, I don't know whether you remember seeing the news about, a uh, must be about a month ago, I can't remember it was on the news or seven sharp, it was one of them. In Napier there was a guy that uh, got fed up with the council Painting all the water and doing all things like this And and it was very dry and hot and a bit of a drought going on and things like that So he decided that he was going to draw a, dig a well in his front lawn So he got permission and he paid the, I don't know, 20000 or 30000 or whatever it was And he got the professionals in And they dug down about 30 metres And next minute, choof, all this water was gushing out like anything and it was all there under the ground. He just had to access it. And it was pure. And he said, I'm going to put a tap on it, and anyone that can wants it can go past and get the water. And it was so beautiful and clear and, and <laughs> clean. So uh, that's the world that God is within us. Now I want to look at the other side, Isaac. Now, Sometimes we can be on different journeys, but on the same journey. But our story can be quite different, as we heard this morning, which was very powerful. But let's turn to Genesis 26, verse 12 to 25. Genesis 26, verse 12 to 25. It says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Note that word, envied him. Now, the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. Very significant. And Amalek, he's one of the kings there, said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there, and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac dug a, again the wells of water. Which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham He called them by the names which his father had called them Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley And they found a well of running water there But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen Saying, the water is ours So he called the name of the well Esek Because they quarreled with him Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called it the name Sitnah. And then he moved from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name Rehoboth because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your descendants my servant, for my servant Abraham's sake. And so he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and Isaac's servants dug a well. Lots of well digging. So Isaac is entering a new stage. He'd always totally relied on his father for everything. Suddenly, his father has died. Now he has to learn to stand on his own two feet. It's quite a transition. Suddenly, you've always been reliant on someone, and suddenly that person has been taken out, and suddenly you've got to stand on your own two feet. You know, for all of us, we have to be able to make sure that he is our foundation, we're not resting on someone else's foundation. Because that one day that person may not be there. So it's important about what's happening on the inside of us. Let's have a look at their six wells. And let's have a look at them. And, and, and in many ways I identify with a lot of these wells <laughs> in my own story. They tried to drink his father's well, but he found it was blocked up by earth. You know, one of the things that can block a well... The will of Christ flying in you is flesh. <laughs> the earthly ways, the things that get us, you know, the things that we think is the ways that, you know, how God should do it. And this is, it's our earthly thinking, our earthly mindsets. And what was the reason why it was filled up with earth? Because of envy. Now, that's interesting. Envy. And one thing i found in my own walk is, you know, I used to flow, getting in, you know, the Holy Spirit used to speak to me so well through the Word and, and I used to, uh, you know, it used to flow so naturally. And then I went through a bit of a dry patch and I found Sandra was just, the inspiration was vroom, like this and she used to spout it out. And I was used to saying, God, why isn't that coming out of me? Why aren't I seeing it anymore? So underneath there's this, I suppose, jealousy that can come up. It's a fleshly response to what God is doing, and yet we should never ever have that, because what happens is it puts a lid on you that can that stops the water flowing out of you. Everybody's different, and we have to walk, you know, walk together on this journey, and to be able to encourage and build each other, uh, uh, you know, each other up. So I found that this was blocking my will but purely it was the earthly response of what I was putting in there myself. So that's something that I had to really deal with and bring before the Lord. We should never compare ourselves with each other because when we start to do that we actually create problems. God never designed us to compare with each other. He created us to work together and to build together. And each one of us, no matter our strengths or our weaknesses, God has designed us a certain way to fit together and we need to be content in what he has done. How can we say to the creator, what have you done? What have you made? What are you doing in us? And we have to see and recognize and understand what he is doing in us and what gifts he's given us to be able to Contribute to the family, not in an obligation way, but in love, and be content. Well, number two, man, we're slow to learn sometimes. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm pretty slow. (laughs) But I thank God for his patience. You know, sometimes he's still defaulting to his father's old wells. And sometimes we can default to the old mindsets in us of what we know. And, and I remember when I came to the rock, I had certain mindsets about the way things are and the way things have preached and the way things are done. But I was confronted with something because I know God called me here and I know God said to me to support the man of the house here and I didn't know who he was. At that stage, I'd never even seen a picture of him, but I knew God had called us here. And I just clicked when 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 I spent time with Greg, there was something in here that clicked. Man, God has done something very powerful here. But what Greg was speaking was there were a lot of things I'd never heard before. And I thought, what? And this confronted my old mindsets. It should be like this, but he's saying that. And it started to blow my mind away. And if we're not careful, what we can do is if we hold on to those things, we can actually block the will that God has placed within us. But God, I'm too busy trying to resurrect something I felt had value. (laughs) You know, that's why we have to let go of everything. And I had to come to that place of letting go. God, teach me afresh. Help me to understand, because we can get set in our ways. And when we believe something so strongly, we can build an altar around it. We can set it up as an idol. And when God speaks to us about it and shows us a different angle, we're so rigid we can't move from that position. And what happens is the world gets blocked. And I've been there myself. (laughs) And yet God wants us to collect fresh manna every day. It's there for us to eat. And so this is what he wants us to do. And otherwise, religious mindsets and traditions can actually be one of the biggest stoppers of all. And that's exactly what I had to let go because otherwise we have to try and control it. We have to control what we know. Because we're safe with it. And when somebody challenges us, we have to fight to defend our position. And yet God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be open. Are our hearts open? So if you're finding that the wells in you are blocked, maybe you need to ask God, you know, is there a, a position in my heart that needs to be surrendered? Because I found that there was a lot in me that needed to be laid down. Well, number three. So they move on from there. Okay, they they shifted position, which is great. He's now starting to try and step out. And he tries to dig a well, but the fruit is quarreling and strife. Oh dear. The water is ours. Hmm, that's interesting. The water is ours. Pride and arrogance is another thing that can block a will in you. And particularly when we start to try and do everything through knowledge. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, but when it starts to puff us up and doesn't have any effect or change on us, then really all it does is puff us up. All we create is a library of Of information and yet no transformation. And one of the biggest things that was really challenging to me was that Greg was talking about transformation. I saw transformation almost basically external, but actually it has to be internal. And of course, what's being preached in this place is something that you can't just, that's a nice sermon it actually challenges you. It does something deeper. Because why? Because God is jealous for his children to come into all that he has and to come into that place. And so we have to come into a place of letting go of what we we think is great. And I used to love to study the word and, and to, to see all sorts of things and to find the Hebrew and the Greek and all sorts of things like that. And that's what I really enjoyed doing. Man, I preached a lot of information (laughs) over my years. And some of it was pretty good. It was information, but I don't know how far it transformed anybody. Because the word of God has to be a sword that penetrates sharp and deep. Otherwise, all we're doing is making a nice sounding topic. And so, but God's not here just to muck around. He actually wants lives transformed and changed. But look at what I know becomes the cry instead of look at who I know. Actually, it's only one word difference. Very, very subtle sometimes, eh? And that world was called Isek, it means strife, to quarrel. And the danger comes when we seek knowledge or the revelation. You know, there's something about us that we want revelation. We want him to reveal something of his word to us. So we seek revelation for the sake of revelation instead of seeking him who gives us the revelation. But when we just seek revelation, all we're doing is seeking knowledge. When we seek him, we become changed. And it's revealed to us. When he opens our hearts, he reveals something to us. It changes us. If we're just doing it for information's sake, nothing happens. We go away frustrated because nothing's really happening. We become clouds without water. We promise much, but we deliver very little. And I was full of it, (laughs) to be honest. But I praise God that he's taken hold of me. And changed me and and coming to this place into this family has been one of the best things I've ever done. So, you know, I'm so grateful for the word that is being preached in this place. What a well that we have to dig from. You know, lions and other animals they pee in the water. Where other animals drink. You think, yuck. But you know, when we when we parade our knowledge before you and our rhetoric or whatever it is, you know, it can be just like that. Hey, look at how knowledgeable and great I am, <laughs> and the people become <laughs> and the people become tainted with it. <laughs> yeah, it affects it affects people. There's nothing worse than, you know, when an animal dies upstream and you're drinking the water down here. That's how you get, uh, what is it, the Jardia or whatever it is in the water? I wonder what's died in the water <laughs> up there. And we're, we're meant to be living water for them to drink, you know. <laughs> and they're drinking all this horrible water that's actually making them sick. I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Paul. I follow this one, I follow that one. man, and sadly i've seen it I've seen it firsthand in the years of um, hanging around church lees and things like that. It makes me sick when I think about it when when uh, I remember watching uh, all these leaders from up in Auckland. Sorry Auckland, I don't know whether anybody's listening from Auckland Big multi-churches and things like that And they were all arguing over who was going to speak first And all that sort of thing And it was who was going to be noticed And who was going to be noticed by the press And who was going to be noticed by this and It was like they were all at each other Because they wanted to be number one I thought, oh And I look back and I think That's not how it is That's not how God designed his family to be. So, well number four. The fourth well brought similar results. You know, we often strive in our own strength to make something happen. And I found myself getting confronted and having to try and work it out in my own mind. And guess what? You can't do it. It has to be the Spirit of God that reveals it in us. Otherwise we get so frustrated and we wear ourselves out trying to dig a well and we're coming against all these hard stones and I don't know whether you've dug a fence post and all you're hitting is rocks underneath. It's hard, hard yakka. (laughs) That's why dynamite is so much better. (laughs) But what we try and do, you see, Sitna means accusation, accuse, resist, or adversary, which is interesting, isn't it? Because we can resist when God is changed trying to train, Well, not trying to change us; He's He's bringing to light certain areas in your life. There can be times when we resist the change, we resist the things of what He's saying, and we want to hold on to where we are. And we struggle and we wrestle with God. Now that's okay, guys. But we've got to come to a different position from that. And that wrestling, if we just continue on like that and not giving in, we become old wineskins trying to take on new wine, and we just can't take it because we weren't designed to hold new wine into old wineskins. It cracks it, it starts to leak and we're trying to busy cover the leak and it's not working and we're losing it. We can't hold anything. So, you know, there are times in my life that's where I felt in, in my walk with God that I have, I've i been striving to dig this well and, and get the you know God to speak and, and to, to reveal and to show and all I'm doing is wearing myself out. Doing and and when you go through periods of that you try and default back to what you used to do because that's when it used to be fruitful but it no longer is fruitful anymore and you get even more frustrated ever been there? just like Peter going back into the fishing boat and he still can't catch anything I'm a pro and I can't catch a single fish (laughs) well number five Now this is where it gets really interesting, because suddenly there is a change. They move from there to a different place, and they dig a well, and there is no quarrelling, there is no strife, there is no arguing, there's no pride, there's nothing, there's no flesh, there's no earth in it, but they dig a well, and suddenly there's water, fresh water. You see, he comes, starts to change his posture. He comes into a new place and he starts digging afresh. The reason is because of his striving, he's suddenly coming into a place of rest. I can't do this anymore. I I don't know what to do, but God, I lay it down at your feet. I want you. You have to do it because I can't. And it's one of the things that I had to come to in my own walk. God, I can't do this. I've been walking with you for decades now, and yet I'm coming to a place where I'm saying I can't do this. Lord, whatever I knew before, Lord, may it be nothing. I leave it behind. And I've had to come to that place. You know, not everything that we learnt is wrong, but God wants to redefine everything. And I mean everything. But when we hold on to those things it becomes blockages that stop the water from flying and he wants clear rain so when we come to the end of ourselves like he did he comes into that place of rest there was no striving no pride no uh, flesh no quarrelling our journey is as important as the destination when we let go and let God take over, and there is and when we cease from our own works and allowing Him to reveal himself in you, when we make room for God, He makes room for us because what do they say about the world? God has made room for us He has He's there, so when we humble ourselves, when we're broken, boy, what a powerful testimonies we heard this morning of brokenness and yet when we come to that place where we can't do it and we're broken God can that's when God steps in because now it's not reliant on us anymore it's reliant on him and we come into a place of fruitfulness and this is the first time really in that passage that's mentioned a place of fruitfulness when he's starting to build wells now look at the last well This is really, really amazing. Absolutely everything changes. You see, it's now God-led, not man-led. That's interesting. It's God-led, not man-led. And he moves to a place and a position to encounter God first. So everything in that order changes. Because Isaac was now in a place of rest, he could hear God. So if you're striving, you may find it difficult to hear God. But when you're in that place of rest, suddenly he encountered God. And God reveals himself afresh to him. And God begins to reveal himself to him and then he begins to reveal more of who he is in us. We need to come to that place of when God reveals who He is, He reveals who we are in Him. And this is the most beautiful thing. Then Isaac responds out of love and builds a an altar. Not a well. That's interesting. He builds an altar. A place of worship a place of love, a place of thanksgiving. Not a place of obligation, but a thing of love, of surrender, just like his father did. If you read about Abraham, Abraham built eight altars. All of them were significant. You never hear of him building wells. So only after in that passage do you hear about Abraham In the worlds, but beforehand it was only the altars. See, Abraham always put God first, it was always the altar. The first thing he did when he moved to a new place was he built an altar. And when we're moving into new ground, God, we give it all to you. It became his lifestyle. Suddenly, it's now about relationship, not function. How important is that? He's not striving to build a well. He's actually building a relationship. And then out of that relationship, a well is dug effortlessly and the water flows. Isn't that amazing? The whole order has changed. Isaac spent all that time beforehand trying to build a well. This time, when he's come to the end of himself... He, he's able to rest in God, God speaks to him, God reveals himself to him and suddenly out of love he builds an altar of surrender to him and the will comes. And in your life, with, in your walk with God, that's exactly what God wants to do in you, to cease from your striving and to come into that place of rest, allow him to reveal himself to you that changes you, and out of your surrender and worship to him, suddenly he begins to speak more to you. The will wells up within us. And his love covers us, and his grace empowers us on the journey. Just as Greg keeps saying, it's so, so powerful. So there are the six wills, and I think I identify with all of them. (laughs) But I want to be like Rebecca too, being able to dip that bucket into that well because it's the relationship's already there and it just flows out. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us, that it's, it's not about us striving to dig a well. It's about you forming a relationship with you, knowing you, and you abiding in us and us in you that what flows out of us truly becomes living water effortlessly. It's not put on, it's not having to make it up, but it comes because of the relationship. The well is there. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, every heart that's heard this tonight, Father, would come into that place of, of, of ceasing striving from their own works and come into that place of rest to encounter you, and to be transformed and changed. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's some questions there for you as well. Thank you.